today's a brand new day in this church. I really got to get to the scriptures and bring you some revelation on how you can live at a whole new level financially. How you're not called to work hard, but you're called to work smart. But there'll be some hard work along the way. So tonight I'd like for you to grab your Bible and we'll go, come with me to the book of Genesis. And uh, I want someone to keep me honest. I, I think I need to pray for people for about, I, I need 20 minutes to speak. So could you give me a five minute warning? Um, my sound man, helper. Can you just kind of do that or that if I don't look at you? That's a five minute warning. Because um, if it's your first time in church, uh, hold on to your seat, it gets, it gets better. And uh, it gets pretty fast-paced at times. I want to go straight to Genesis chapter 15. As we go there, I want to remind you of the account that Abram, his brother's son, his nephew, Lot, has been captured in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's a, it's a wicked place. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And God has decided he's going to rain judgment down upon the entire place. And Abraham becomes an intercessor and stands before God and says, would you, would, you, would you pass over if you found 50 righteous? And he went through this whole process down to 10 righteous people. God, would you, would you not bring judgment for 10 righteous people? And God actually says to Abraham, sure, I'll hold it off. And Abraham's thinking about his family members in there. And he goes in and he rescues with 318 of his staff. He rescues Lot from Sodom. He comes out with silver and gold and loot and... The moment he gets back from that journey, he goes before God. In fact, the angel of the Lord, the, the type of Jesus Christ, manifests himself to Abram. His name is Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, the priest of peace. He's got no beginning or no end. And he comes to Melchizedek and says, If God... In fact, let's just go and read it. Genesis chapter 14. Uh, do you have a Bible with you? I'm going to read to you from the New King, New King James Version. And uh, he's just come back, and this is what it says in around about verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What does that sound like? What does it sound like? Communion. He brought out bread and wine. He's a priest. He brought bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, being Abraham, and said... Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave a tithe of all. I don't know if you realize this tonight, but when you bring your tithes, I'm sure some Christians just think it's what a pastor's got to do to put some food on the plate. Listen, when Jesus said give to the poor, he wasn't thinking about poor pastors. I'm sure when some Christians come to church that they think about the tithe message that they hear every week and how often we're going to hear this and that and whatever else, they think that the pastor or the leader is just doing what they've got to do to keep the wheels turning. But what you need to realize is that tithes was initiated by man before God. This is the first time you find tithes in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And Abram came back from battle. He went to battle knowing that God had sent him. He came back from battle knowing that God had given him victory. And the first thing he did is he took 10% off the loot 
and he presented it before God through the priest Melchizedek and said this, if God is going to give me victory like this, every time he gives me victory like this, I'm going to present 10% of my increase to God. Your tithes declares victory in battle. When I tithe, I don't tithe so that I try and get blessed. When I tithe, I tithe to declare I am blessed. I tithe because I know that everything that comes into my life is supplied by God. Now, some Christians don't think like that. Some people don't think like that. When I first came into Christ, they didn't think like that. This is the money I work through for. This is what I earn. But you've got to get a revelation in this life, the, breath, the air that you breathe, God could take it away from you like that if he wanted to. But he loves you to provide it for you to live on this planet. Ties declares victory. But let me say this. Battle. Battle is the seed of territory. If you want to take land, if you want to buy a home, build your house on it, buy land and build your house on it, you will battle with finance companies, you will battle with mortgage brokers, you will battle with building, uh, with builders, you'll battle all the way through to take that ground. Battle is the seed of territory. And I would say tonight, there's a number of people in here, you got weary in the battle. But I want to tell you, keep fighting on because battle is the seed of territory. If you want to take ground, is there anyone that wants to take ground tonight? If you want to if you want to take this ground here in Tugger, 11 acres, uh, and what's the, what's the mortgage on the place? $1 million. Is that all? Two average homes in Australia. If, if you want to take this ground, and you are going to take this ground, is that right? Uh, I'm feeling a little bit insecure tonight, so I need some help. So the better you respond, the better I feel about me, and the better I preach. Is that okay? Uh, do you want to take ground here tonight? Yes. You want to take this ground? Yes. Do you ha how many people don't own their home? Either you have a mortgage or you don't even have a mortgage and you want to own your own home. You want to live the complete Aussie dream. Listen to me. You have been, uh, you have been designed by God to own your own place. God said to Joshua, everywhere your feet go, that land shall I give you. You've got to get away from this thing that you're going to have to battle through 30 years of your life. The word mortgage is made up of two words. Uh, um, that One is uh, morgue and the other one is gauge. It's, it's an engagement to death. That, that's what it actually means. Those are the two words put together. Uh, the, where we get the word morgue, where we put bodies when, when someone expires, that, that's the root word there. And gauge is an engagement there. Mortgage, it's a, it's, a, it's a commitment to death. I, I know that I have a mortgage, but I don't want one. Are you with me? Not until death, I want to live long beyond the time it takes me to pay out my mortgage. Are you with me? I, I, I want to know that in, in a few years' time, Pastor Phil and Julie are able to say, this thing's paid off. The next generation that inherits this house is not going to do it with debt. They're going to put resources into other things. And so, in Genesis chapter 15, in eight verses of scripture that I want to read to you, there's a revelation that comes as Abram lives his life. Are we ready to read? I'm going to read uh, from the King James again. 
says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, you exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Elysia of Damascus, somebody else, not my own son. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house shall be my heir, a servant. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the air of Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? So he, God, said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. In other words, an offering. Then he brought all of these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. I must apologize. I said I was only going to read eight verses of scripture. Are you doing okay? We're going to keep reading. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham or Abram drove them away. Now then, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abraham, No, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for, for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. He was 175 from memory. But in the fourth generation they shall return here in the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, three appeared, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates and all the way through all these places. And it all took place. I'm concerned about the lack of reading of scripture in public. That's the only reason I read on okay for me to come down here I'm a little bit dark if you don't see me it doesn't matter as long as you can hear me you've got to get a hold of what's revealed to you this is not just animals getting sliced up in a a sacrifice of worship in the Old Testament this was an offering that Abram was bringing to God and remember why he brought it to God because he said to God how shall I know that I will inherit the land and he says to Abram bring me an offering He brings the offering and he prepares it according to the customs of those days. And no sooner is the offering prepared, vultures come to consume the offering. Anytime you bring an offering, you declare war with your enemy. And when the vultures came to consume the offering that had been prepared for God, 
What did Abraham do? He attacked the enemy and shooed the enemy away. He said, get away from my offering. This is dedicated to God. Stay away. He moved between the offering so that you could stay prepared for God. Every time you bring an offering, you declare war on your enemy. Abraham, the importance of the covenant, he had just had communion with the priest. And the priest had brought a blessing upon his life. Abram was already blessed financially. He'd already come back from a war and, and won. He'd brought a tithe. Then straight after the tithe's been presented, God says, give me an offering. Now, not all people get asked to bring an offering to God. God was about to change Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. Isaac, if you skip forward to, I think, Genesis 26, you'll find out that Isaac, in a time of famine, sowed. Prior to that, you read the story, because there was a famine, Isaac was going to move on like everyone does. You know, I can't, you know, it's just Tugra, that's how it is. We had it in, years ago in Rockingham. One couple came to my church years ago. He worked a job, had four kids, they were young, and she couldn't work. He came along, started getting a revelation on tithes and offerings, started to prosper. He started um, buying and selling houses and doing developments. We launched our building fund, 2001. During the teaching series over that time, I was talking on faith for your finances and your future. I talked about the fact that every time you increase, that's income. It's not just what you get from your job. If you buy and sell a house and you know you bought it for 300 and you sell it for 500 and you do the math, you come out with $200,000 worth of equity. There's a tie there, there's an increase. And I just kind of did it openly and genuinely. And they got convicted and in come time of a building fund, uh, they brought a $30,000 tithe, presented it to the church. And uh, as the story goes, she started to grow as a leader and became on her board and started to do tithing messages, was really strong on it, started to prosper. They bought a property, they bought one property that they thought they could never buy. It was worth uh, $900,000. Moved into it as a family home, 10 acres, beautiful property. They sold it two years later for $3 million. Some other business things they were doing and so on and so forth. One day he asked me to sit in the cafe and talk with him after church. And he says, Pastor, I need to talk to you because I know that um, with Rise and Build coming up again, we didn't call it that in those days, we called it whatever it was. But he says, I, I know you're probably expecting that, um, you know, we've. He says, look, this is the way it is. He says, I've got half a million bucks there and most of it's God's. But I'm not going to put it into the church. If I take that money and put it into this development, I know I can turn that 500 into 5 million. And even though he called me pastor, he didn't give me an open door of pastor. He told me what he was going to do. And he was waiting for a response. And I said to him, you're waiting for a response, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, I don't have one. You know what I teach. You know what the Bible says. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about not that the church needs your $300,000, $500,000, whatever it is, but I'm, 
I'm concerned that you're building your financial future before God on an unstable foundation. It's going to be fine. It's good. I, I said, cool. I know. I didn't say God bless you. I didn't say whatever. I said, you do what was in your heart to do. If that's what you feel to do. It's the saddest thing. It, to be here tonight, I think at that point in time they were worth $2.5 million. Today, probably three years from that point, they have absolutely nothing, lost everything, and are starting again. That deal went bad, the business he went into went bad. The vultures came, the seed eater came. You say, Claudia, are you trying to scare me into bringing an offering? No, not at all. Uh, it's like altar time for salvation. I, I, if I could scare the hell out of you, I would. But, but I don't do that. I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to help you lead your best life before God. You see, outside of the uh, kingdom of God, money's your own. Inside the kingdom of God, God says this, to whom much has been given, much is required. He says this, be faithful with that which is least, which is actually money, and I'll give you rulership over that which is greatest, which is the anointing of God. If you want to test the anointing in someone's life, test them in the area of money. From God's perspective. Here, Abraham, I'm going to just call him Abraham because we all know that's his final name. Is that right? He declares war. He first complained to God about not having an heir, not having an estate. God gives him a vision. Look out into the stars. God says, bring me an offering. He does. Abraham fends off the vultures from the offering. In today's world, that's urgent needs, that's unexpected bills, that's strong desires that we have for something, that's the request of a friend. It's a holiday. Prior to any of this, Abram was already so rich that he could not dwell in the same region as his nephew Lot. He had to give him other areas to dwell in. The Bible says that he was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. But that didn't stop him being faithful with his tithe. That didn't stop him bringing an offering to God. I wonder, I wonder what is stopping you tonight looking at that commitment card. Do you think that the reality is church just simply needs your money? This gentleman tried to say that to me. He said, I, I realize you need my money to build the church. I stopped him and said, well, I don't need your money at all. Don't need it. I'm not looking to you for the provision of this house. I'm looking up to God. There's principles and stuff that goes in it and you can be involved in it, but actually, you need to give to God more than you need. To, the church needs your money. You need to have a covenant with God more than the church needs to receive tithes and offerings. I said to him, I said, if you don't provide, provision will come from somewhere else.
you can miss your moment of destiny. In 1996, a 14-year-old teenager from a broken home who had been wrongly accused of sexual misconduct with his dead sister was outed from his home. No one would have him. He was in my youth group. He got charged. No one believed in him except my wife and I. We went to put him up in our home and he wouldn't live in our home. He lived in our backyard in a swag, 14 years old until he could become 14 and a half and shift to a coal mining place, gold mining place called Kalgoorlie and work. Came back two years later. He had saved enough money to be self-sustaining. He came back and became a member of our church. He struggled, struggled for years until his stepsister got old enough to be able to stand up and say, he never did it, that was wrong. But he's still stuck with the stigma. He's still got a charge on him. grew as a Christian in our church and started to get a job and got married and now got four children and earns $160,000 a year when he's 28 years old when the mining boom hit five years ago he came to me and said pastor I want to fly in fly out I said son don't do it he said why I need the money, I need to get ahead. I've got a small home, family's got this son don't do it. God's telling me if you stay here, stay faithful in the industry that you're in. While all these other guys are flying in and flying out, wrecking their relationships, things going crazy. Nothing against flying and fly out. It works for some people. Keep the right things in place. I said, Don't do it. He was on $60,000 a year at that time. Three months. He, he just said, yes, Pastor, I, I trust you. I'll, I'll do that. Three months, he, he struggled. Three months later, he gets a job offer. $75,000. About 5000 short of flying in, flying out in those days. He stuck it out. He's now on $160,000 a year. He walks it, works a nine-day fortnight. He has a car on top of that. And he's at home every night. I want to talk to him in my church, the son of mine, spiritually. He'll tell you that ties and offerings in the hardest times got him to the next level. When I go back to my room tonight, my ritual, I've got to sit on the couch or on my bed and just say, God, how'd I do? And he either says, You're good, squirt, you're right, you're right. Or he says, don't say that, do that. My passion is win, to win the lost. What is the cost to one soul? But if the church doesn't engage in prosperity the way that we need to, we're never going to fulfill the mission of God like we're supposed to. More relationships split over finances than any other thing. So tonight as you look at your pledge card, if you haven't made a pledge. I got some prophetic words and the good thing about it is I don't know who you are. <laughs> but there's someone here tonight um, that as we started to worship, God talked to me about um, severe abdominal pain 
that you experience. And uh, it may be connected to a syndrome, maybe IBS or something like that. I, I don't know. That's just my mind coming into it. But I know this tonight. God is going to heal you tonight completely. I think you've suffered it with it for a long time. You may actually be in pain right now. If you're not in pain right now, definitely in the last few weeks you've suffered with severe abdominal pain. Uh, I had to bring that one in there now, which seems left field, but it's because it came as I was worshipping. There's also someone in here tonight, you're kind of like that family and that guy that you've had a measure of success and kind of got a heart to give, but your head's in the way and you've got it all worked out and you've got to make it happen. The best plans that have ever been laid out by men come undone. Things change, things, things happen. You've got to know that when you tithe, you are setting a covenant in place with you and God. And he goes into bat where you can't go into bat. When you withhold the tithe, you're exposed and you're open. The offering that's there, some need to make transactions now. There's a lady and gentleman that I heard about in Oxford Falls Church. If you've got those cards in front of you, can we maybe put the lights on so people can see if they need to fill them out? You're probably sitting on your cards. Yeah. A, I just yeah, come help me. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, just to bring people, Claude. Um, th this is our Vision Builders Weekend, and it's when we present the vision, which was brilliantly portrayed last night through a phenomenal effort of the church. Thank you so much for all those people. Vision is what we do. Vision is what we engage with, and uh, it's what we give to. It's what we're committed to. We presented that last night. We're reaching into the local community and to overseas. And what we say to you tonight is that if you belong to this church, this is your weekend, this is your time to say yes to Vision Builders, to help us carry the vision that's in our heart, on our church, to Africa, Thailand, to the schools, to the youth group, to the children's, the big noises coming up. Um, the soup kitchen, which is the feeding the old people, all that vision we do. And can I just have one of those? The vision building account that you will commit to, and we've done this, Oxford Falls did it today, and C3 churches do it worldwide. This is an annual commitment to the vision builders, um, uh, the vision builders account in the terms of our, our offerings, Yep. To, to the missions, uh, also the facilities that we need to facilitate all the programs that we do. This building... As well as the monthly kind of commitment. That's, that's, the, that's the monthly commitment of the mortgage, the mortgage and other and things gone. I yep. guess the mortgage mainly, and also the vision, all the missions that we do, comes out of the Vision Builders account. So Pastor, what, what, what would be the target that you would think you need for the year ahead? Well, we need at least 160,000 for the year. We're hoping for 200,000. As of last night, we were 55,000. This morning, we're up to $70,000. Yeah. Um, close to $70,000 as of this morning. So, still, we're yet to get to our 160, which we desperately need to. To, to reach just to cover budget, but we're actually believing for 200,000 just for vision builders. Uh, that's not the tithe. The tithe 
is something else. That's at least another couple of hundred thousand that makes this church work. Claude, you said this morning your total, um, your total budget for your whole church is a million dollars. Last year it was a million dollars and, and we've tried to keep our operating, we have kept our operating in, that, in the last year so that we've already put our budgets together for the year ahead. So we, we need a million dollars for the year ahead. But the crazy thing we've done as a group We've, we've agreed that we're out of space and we're going to build a 601-seat auditorium. So now we're in the midst of raising a quarter million dollars. I go back to my church next weekend to raise a quarter million dollars. I have $60,000 worth of commitments from, my, from three of my staff, uh, five of my, three, three staff and, and three other people in my church. One of them is a 19-year-old boy. Right. Uh, so we're already ticking over in that. We're a blue collar. We're quite like Tugra, really. Um, just we have a hundred thousand people in our area instead of what you've got here. Yeah, right. A bit less than that. Eh? Yeah, well, we've got three hundred thousand in the whole region, but in the immediate ten, fifteen thousand people. Yeah. Well, it's just what we do in church life. Um, vision is what we're committed to as a church. Let me just say that again. We're not committed to just hang around within four walls and sing Kumbaya. We're committed <laughs> as people to engage God's vision for His church. Every church is a God project, reaching out. One of the great, one of the, well, the great commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. My neighbor's here. Got saved eight weeks ago. Hey, Dave. Love your neighbor. And by the way, thank that company of yours for dropping off $10,000 worth of timber so we can build the mezzanine level and all the offices we need. Thank you very much. Tell your boss, thank you very, very much. He said he had some timber for us, so a 14-ton truck turned up and we got blessed, so we really appreciate that. I need you to sit down when you're ready. Listen, um, what I'd finally like to say, Claude, is this. For our church people to commit to this with faith, that's what we're asking today. With faith, it's a yeah. stretch, it's a challenge, it's what we do, it's how this church got here. We're vision builders, we're carrying a vision, even unto the nations. We're calling on all C3 people. And if you're a visitor and you want to, tonight we're asking you to, to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm a vision builder with C3 Tugra, this is my commitment. Whatever that is, decide to do it. Pull out that paper, if you need a pen, put your hand up and sign off tonight so that we can understand where you're at with this church and we do appreciate everything you've done previously and what you're going to do tonight. We honestly thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And you also said this morning that in that is that if people aren't going to engage, that's cool. That's cool, man. If they haven't got faith... It just means that that, that's where you're at at this level. That's where we're at. Really, it comes down to members of this church and attendees visitors that just spectate and watch us do what we do best and and really members of the church the members are really the partners of what we do and we know who those people are the other people come and they like us and and it's fantastic but until you get faith and this is totally all right until you get faith until you get the unction in your spirit to say this is my church this is where i'm committed to belong and this is the vision they're doing i'm going to help this thing along well until that day comes for you, bless you, but this is for the people that say, this is my church, I'm a member of this church, I'm partnering with God, 
through this church to bring good news to this planet and especially locally. Amen. Thank you. I want to pray for people tonight. and uh, So if you could fill those out, that would be great. If Just listen to this. You might be saying that, you know what, I've only been a Christian in a few weeks. Listen to this account that I heard on Friday night from a lady, husband and wife that joined Oxford Falls 12 months ago. Um, their names are Russell and Tina. They had been in the church three months when they, and his wife Tina was not saved. They started tithing as a couple within two weeks of being in the church. Shortly after that, during a Rise and Build program, Tina was saved. And up until then, they had a problem with not tithes. They'd been doing that faithfully. They became cheerfully in the giving. But they'd had a problem with all this Rise and Build stuff. By the time they got to the end of the Rise and Build program, they had made a decision as husband and wife that they would give their next bonus check, her husband's next bonus check, into the Rise and Build. They didn't know what it was, but they knew it was going to be fairly decent. $20,000 was the bonus. And they pledged it the moment it came in. Tina went on to say that through slackness she took four weeks to transfer the money. Exactly two weeks after the transfer, the transfer of the $20,000, an unexpected $25,000 inheritance came in in two weeks. They stood up there on Friday night and talked about how out of that next lot they committed more. I think this year their pledge was, was it $30,000? So many figures in my head. New Christians, tithing within two weeks, giving ridiculous offerings within three months, but then reaping the benefits of it. John Encina had a similar story. His first offering with his wife was $500 into Rise and Build. The next year, they went to $2,000. They said it was a complete stretch. After they gave that $2,000, he wrote, still to this day, the biggest brokerage deal in finance ever written in Australia, a brokerage deal worth $150 million. Last year in Rise and Build, he gave $40,000. This year, they're giving thirty. You've got to know that these offerings declare war on the enemy, but bring you to a whole new level of living. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you tonight that you're here in this place. God, I'm reminded that John Ancina, your son down there at Oxford Falls, said that this time of the year is the most spiritual time of the year for him and his wife. God, there's a sense of spiritual sharpness here right now. So I pray for those making decisions and hearing your voice and stepping out in faith. God, I join my faith with them right now. I thank you that as we come to this time of altar, that debt destruction takes place, that there's debts cancelled out, there's favour that's coming upon people's lives as people enter into this covenant of abundance and blessing with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As you go ahead and fill out those pledge forms. I can feel, can't see you, don't know where you are, but I can feel one or two people that 
tonight the focus, maybe the weekend's focus, maybe maybe the stretch that this church has been through in, in the last eight weeks. I was here eight weeks ago and amazingly you guys raised $76,000 in, in a crunch time. And some of you already reaped the rewards. We heard the great testimony of Katrina's husband and wife, family thing that 180 $88,000 tax bill wiped out by the government. Who does that? Cancelled. Gone. We heard a story of that down there the other, other night of a $300,000 tax bill wiped out. But there's something that activates that covenant and that blessing. This is what it is. Are we ready to receive those pledges? Can we, can we pass that out now? Um, can I also encourage you that like what happened with uh, that lady, Tina she, she stood up openly and said I took four weeks to transfer it she kind of left you thinking that if I had done it earlier the money would have come through earlier it's when the seed goes into the ground that it gets to produce a harvest in your life so if you can make a transfer in this financial year, in, in this week um, I believe it's going to set your next financial year up like nothing else you see, there's a difference between making money and managing money, and some of you are really good at making it, but you're terrible at managing it. And one of the reasons you haven't learned to manage money well is because you haven't learned to be a good steward in the house. And when you start to set aside 10% of your income to give to God, and then you start to plan offerings in as well as that, every, all of a sudden management becomes the right priority. There is a major difference between making it and managing it. I'm a person that's a great maker of money, but I'm terrible at managing it. So I have someone else, or well, not so terrible today, I look after a multi-million dollar budget at the church and a hundred million dollar budget in the job that I look after. So, but in the beginning I was terrible. Seriously. And actually, biblical finances taught me to be a good money manager. The silent auction for that for that uh, print it's not a print sorry it is a print it is a print uh, it's still on so you can still SMS that through and you can throw that up on the screen if you don't mind just to show them what that is there you go great ushers why don't you come and receive from the people can I have um, is it possible Jamie Lee are you able to get your crew back? Um, should I swap over to the handheld mic to make your job easier? Yeah. Can I say, I, I, I realise that um, we normally finish at 7.30 and, and if you need to go, if you've got commitments, I think it's okay for me to say that you can go. It's okay with you. I'd love to just pray for people. I believe I've got some words of encouragement and breakthrough for people is it okay if I just continue I probably won't go beyond court to eight but if you do need to go um, then please try and be one of the first people to respond my eldest son Christian um, died in a car accident suddenly and tragically at 18 years old I had to preach his funeral it's one of it is the most difficult thing I've ever done by the grace of God two days leading up to him dying not knowing that he was going to die, he shared his faith with 23 of his closest friends. 
he, um, he compelled them to come to Christ. And on the day that he died, he died with uh, two of his mates. There was one survivor, four in the car, one survived. He lost his legs below the knees. He's, he's now my youth pastor in the church. He's played wheelchair basketball all over the world. And uh, Christian used to love to surf. He'd be the first one down on the beach getting changed and before anyone had a chance to get their boogie board or their surfboard out their bag he'd be saying who's coming with me and uh, when I went to the morgue to um, see him raised from the dead uh, after about half an hour of crying out to God with a mate of mine I realized that he wasn't coming back, but I wasn't actually ready to accept it until the Holy Spirit said to me, what if he doesn't want to come back? And then I stopped and knowing my son, I knew that he was up there with a smug look on his face saying, ha, jump the queue, got here ahead of you. And at that point, I got off off my knees alongside his cold, stiff body. His body was there, but he wasn't. I walked away. Why do I have to share this now? Uh, I went back to God and I said, God, this sucks. And if you want me to lead this church... And we're not going to win the lost. It sucks even more. I said, there's no deal. There's one request. Turn me into a harvesting machine and I'll stay in the ministry. But if it's just about leading a church, looking after people, a handful for the rest of my life, give us something else. Now I've had the privilege in the last few years of leading thousands. Last March, just gone 3,600 people in basically one weekend. Three crusades in Cambodia. We've seen 6,000 people come to Christ. Here's the deal tonight before, because I just, it's too important. There's someone, there's more than one here tonight. If tonight was your last day on the planet, you die and stand before your creator whether you believe it or not that's what would happen and he would say to you why should I let you into my kingdom and you could go through the whole list and say I was a good person I did the best I can and wouldn't open the door there's only one response that will open the door to eternity for you you would say because I recognize that I was a sinner in need of a savior and I heard the gospel where I was told that Jesus was the only one that lived a life sufficient to be a substitution for my life, to forgive my sins. And since receiving his grace and his forgiveness, I've lived my life the best way I could to honor you. A bit long-winded, but that's it. I place my trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. 
So tonight, before we go any further, if, if you've never surrendered your life, if you've never entered into the complete forgiveness of sins and, you, and you're ready to, I'm going to give you opportunity in the moment. Tonight, if you're not 100% sure of your salvation, you need to be sure. The confidence that I had at the WA State Mall when I stood alongside my son's body, that he was in heaven, was beyond the scale. He was a complete, sold-out, 18-year-old virgin, and he wasn't a weed. He wasn't a dork. He had great friends, four or five girls that probably wanted to marry him. I don't know. It was, he was pretty good-looking, sharp. Because sometimes we think to, to be a virgin at 18, you've got to be an idiot. It's not, it's not the case. If, if you've got your purity... If you've got your purity right now, you're a testimony and you need to start voicing that. If you don't have it, you're a testimony in the making. You become a born-again virgin and lead a whole generation of people into a new era. If you're not 100% sure, 95% is not enough. If you're not 100% sure of your faith, I want to include you in this right now. I'll tell you what I'm going to do in a moment. I'm going to get you to close your eyes so you can make a decision. I'm going to get you to lift your hands so that you can respond and say, yeah, that's me, I'm in that place. And then I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you. That's all I'm going to do. And then we're going to take authority over debt in people's lives. I'm going to release financial blessing with people, especially those that have engaged in an offering. So if that's you right now, could I ask all of us here, Christians especially, could you bow your heads and pray? If you're in a place of decision, you don't have to close your eyes or bow your head. It's completely up to you, not trying to trick you into doing something that you don't want to do. But here tonight, if you know that your salvation is not secure because of sins that are blocking your relationship with God, if you've never, ever surrendered your life to Christ and received the forgiveness of sins, His grace, His mercy, and you're ready to surrender to Him, you think finding Jesus is the answer? It's not. You've got to find him and follow him. And what I'm asking you to do tonight is say, yeah, that's me. I want to, I know that I've found him. He's in this place. But I want to follow him. I want him to come and live my life. If that's you right now, I want you to lift your hand, shoot it up real high and say, that's me. Pray for me. Right across this place. If you've never surrendered your life, halfway up the back on my left-hand side, young lady, God bless you. Who else here tonight? You know that you need the forgiveness of sins. You've never surrendered your life or you have and you're not sure. You want a secure understanding in your salvation. Would you lift your hand now real high and say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me. In the middle of my right-hand side, young man, God bless you. Who else tonight? You know that you need to surrender your life. Yeah, but I go to church. Listen, not everyone that goes to church is going to heaven. You can be in the house but not of the house. Who else here tonight? See, I've seen your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Is there anyone else here tonight? It's amazing. The Bible says that a party starts in heaven when one person responds to Christ. Two people at least have responded. There's a huge party that's about to take place in heaven. Is there anyone else here tonight? Anyone else? Up the back there? God bless you, young lady. Who else? There's three people. Who else? Tonight, you know that you've got to get salvation secure in your life. Don't put it off today. The Bible says today is the day. Now is the hour. Cool. Can we all stand to our feet? Let's pray this prayer together, especially if you lifted your hand, but why don't we pray it all as a church together? It's a simple prayer of surrender and a request of forgiveness. Are you ready to do this? 
Are you ready to do this? Let's pray. Say, God, tonight I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus alone to be the sacrifice for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and release me in Jesus' name. I invite you to come and live in me this night. God, I want to become your child. I believe in no other but Jesus Christ. Father, right now I want to thank you for your presence. I want to thank you.